2: Is an outrage Broadcasting outrage. Outrage. live
0: from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo What economy are you talking about? It's about. time for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage, Matters. Mortgage, Matters. Mortgage, Matters. Mortgage
2: Matters Morning everybody, welcome, thanks for tuning in Those of you that are sticking around from the Jeff Bradley show, thank you Glad to have you with us It's July 6th, which means Dan, probably you finally got some good sleep yesterday, huh pal?
1: Oh Yeah I slept great. I took a nap, and then I, then I, you know, did the normal dinner routine, and then um, then I slept really hard. Nice. The nap was just a warm up for what was about to happen later.
2: So uh, many of you know Dan is the uh, one of the critical members here for the Morro Bay Fourth. Puts a lot of hours and time into making that event possible. I spent some hours out there and thought it was pretty great. What was the overall feedback? Um, I,
1: I don't know. I've been in a bubble, so I don't know that I have a lot of feedback right now. But I, from my perspective, I thought it ran really smoothly. Yeah, no this year. problems, right? Yeah, I thought it was great. You know, it could have maybe been a little more clear, but can't control the weather. So sure. I think all in all, it was a it was a really great day. We had the skateboard race. I still haven't heard if the world record was broken. On, I'm sure it was. Um, it has been they the last two time. years. I was at the <laughs> finish line, so I. I saw them come across. It was really cool. It was the first time I've actually seen it. I've always been down at the other end of of the Embarcadero in Morro Bay setting up the park, but I got to actually be involved in the skateboard race this year, so that was kind of fun. Bike Parade was, um, I think, the biggest attendance that we've had to date. It was a great showing for the Bike Parade. And um, that all seemed to run smooth. And then the day at the park was just amazing. All day long in Morro Bay, it was just perfect weather.
2: Of course, when you have fireworks in Morro Bay, there's always a uh, a chance that fog could blow in and impair the viewer's uh, opportunity to enjoy. I thought it actually added a little bit this year. Because it wasn't
1: so dense that you couldn't see what was going on. But, you know, like little bursts would pop out of, of kind of a lighter... A lighter fog, and it, it, you know, the, you, I mean, you were there. You saw the the whole sky just exploded yeah. with reds and greens and blues. I mean,
2: it was pretty awesome. It, it was neat. I mean, all in all, I think a, a, a crystal clear sky might be a little a little bit better visibility, <laughs> but. Honestly, when you see the high one go up and you can still see the shape of the firework, that's that's kind of a success in Morro Bay.
1: Did you hear about the disaster down in Simi Valley? No. So apparently a firework um, shell exploded too early. This is what I've heard so far is that one of the fireworks exploded too early and knocked down some of the shells that were around so it. in their they orders. So they started going sideways and hitting the crowd and 37 people got injured, I think. Oh um, my gosh. And so I was reading about it because we got pitched this year um, by a new fireworks company. That's based on the East coast, trying to make a dent in the West coast market. Is and that it, was, who it, was? it was this company Bay fireworks. They pitched us. We ultimately decided to go with the group that we've used for years
2: Uh, Their stock's probably down. Wow. I'm glad that we didn't go with those guys. uh, I haven't gotten to be, like, on the barge up close and personal in Morro Bay, but I've seen it pretty close, you know, in my hometown when they do it. And it's usually, like, in crates that are, um, seem pretty, like, they pull the tops off of them and wire it all together and stuff, but it seems like it'd be difficult to knock them over, although maybe different different well, practices. I don't
1: know, I can imagine if a firework goes off, you know, at ground zero there that it could have a pretty big it's pretty impact. Percussive yeah, cuz yeah, you're right. They are in um they're in like little compartment crate type things. Um so yeah, that was pretty pretty wild and I just thought, wow, we actually considered using that company. Glad we didn't.
2: Wow, well, I hope everybody's okay. Yeah, I, that's well, not good. Yeah,
1: it sounds like injuries were the worst that happened, so Oh, um, so we didn't have that problem in Morro Bay. It was, uh, it was there's just a, a, there's generally always something to be thankful for. <laughs> that's, right. that, that's the
2: underlying message here.
1: Yeah. It was a nice, it was a nice time though, but man, the work is not over until the fifth. Yeah. That's when all the breakdown, I mean, it's just amazing. Three days in a row of all that setup and, you know, all the work that goes into the day of, and then breaking everything down the day after is. Just so a tremendous amount of work. And so, are you going to do it again this year? Um, we haven't. Uh, we haven't even <laughs> thought that far ahead. Haven't even thought that far ahead. That's
2: like asking a mother immediately after giving birth, <laughs> "Are you going to have another one?" I think
1: usually you get a pretty. And this
2: one soak in first. Yeah, you get. A, <laughs> yeah, I don't want
1: to say anything that I'll regret. So no, we haven't. We, I work with a great group of people. I'll say that you know, there's seven of us that put that show on, um, and we fundraise. We meet all year round. We plan all the fundraising events. We plan the the Fourth of July activities, and um, you know, I've met some really great people doing it. And it's a you know, none of the folks that I work with have any stake in the tourism business or industries. They all do it simply because they you know, love Morro Bay, they love this holiday, and they love doing something for the community. Well, and somebody has to do it, or (laughs) else it doesn't happen. And none of them ask for the recognition that they completely deserve. So it's just, it's a great, humble group of people that I work with, and I'm really happy to um, be a part of the organization and put that event on. It's fun. Well,
2: on behalf of the spectators around the county, thank you. That was rad. I thought it was awesome. Great. And, of course, North County didn't have the festivities that they usually have this year. And uh, Morro Bay seemed particularly busy. I thought it was a great day. Oh, my gosh.
1: Know. Yeah. It's uh, So we were down there. Maybe after- the
2: city's going to take it over on account of it's, <laughs> like, so good for tourism. It is. So many tax dollars.
1: I, I really felt great yesterday after we were, you know, we finished putting everything away. We went and had some lunch at... One of the local establishments on the Embarcadero, and um, walked outside. It's sunny. It's beautiful. The sidewalks are full of people. Um, I heard this morning as I was getting my cup of coffee from uh, the barista, who also happens to be a, um, a waitress at one of the restaurants down in the Embarcadero, that last night was incredibly busy. Yeah, hour waits at some of the restaurants I heard down some there. Similar feedback. So it's yeah, it's great. I mean, that's that's why we do it. Is you know, we really understand that. The Morro Bay economy is so heavily invested in the tourism business, and um, we're happy to just do our part.
2: And may I also add that, on top of it all, you're here. I was yesterday. Saturday, I wasn't. This is this could have been like a good day for you to take off. We could have just ran a repeat show. <laughs> yesterday, I I was not sure that I was going to actually wake up today. Well, and you know, I'm I'm generally honest to a fault, so I'm just going to say here, I I I kind of lobbied for not doing the show today. I thought, hey, that'd be pretty sweet, a couple like a full weekend and a some days off strung together like that sounds pretty fantastic. <laughs> and I got to say as I was uh justifying, you know, you you justify these things. I I was uh, building a case in my head as to why I didn't want to be here today. Uh, you know, it's a truncated week. We got the markets closed half day on wednesday then then Thursday, of course, everything's closed, and it's gonna be a snoozer anyway. What are we going to talk about? We come on the show lately. we've kind of been droning on about interest rates and um there hasn't been great program changes. There's not a whole lot and it just I don't think people will really miss anything. And then, of course, um, my workaholic counterpart here said, ah, let's do it. I'm ready to do it. So I, I started doing all of the research that it takes to do the show here. And, uh, I was wrong. (laughs) We packed so much data and information into one week that there is a pretty big amount of things to talk about. And, um, you know, lately in some of the meetings that I give and in talks that I prepare, I started doing this a little bit backwards, and I like to talk about, um, because a lot of the show here is geared towards how this stuff impacts the markets, right? Um, so we should come right out and just let me just start by saying this, and then we're, we're going to begin to peel the onion here. The um, To my disbelief, shock, outright just, Blown away the ten-year yield yesterday. Um, did, did you see this yet? You, I, I saw it. I you're, was you're sitting, so that I was good. quite
1: surprised uh, as I was
2: 2. thumbing through the paper. Two point seven four percent is where the ten-year yield closed yesterday. Moved and up about a quarter of a point in a day. That doesn't mean much to to the population at large, I guess I'd say, but. Um, our listeners are a, a special grade here of understanding that that the Treasury yields, in particular the tenure, which we focus so closely on, uh, is really telling of the business climate. It's telling of how the the investment community views our short-term future here, whether the economy is improving or not. Um, it has an immediate impact on mortgage interest rates and um, – it's uh it's it's been a wild ride now uh i think in the first week of may and dan correct me if i'm wrong i am a known exaggerator and when it suits me i'm a known under exaggerator but wasn't uh first week of may the 10 year yield was about 1.74 um it
1: was at some point in May, a point less, right? It was one. The low it hit in May was one point six three percent. So we're right. more than a full, about a point and an eighth
2: higher. And to put this into some context, um, it was before the mortgage-backed securities buying kicked off in about two thousand nine to sort of thaw the the frozen market here. We saw yields that were around this level and a little bit higher. So basically this this treasury yield now is suggesting that um, the economy is full steam ahead and the money belongs in the stock market because that's where the rewards are to be made. Um, so just pretty eye opening and and um and yesterday the Dow closed up nearly 1%, 148 points in the positive um and that that one isn't terribly surprising to me. I got to say, I, I was shocked, surprised, and a little bit saddened by the by the pickup in the bond market there. And and let me just um, use that as the intro to say that there is a lot to talk about this week. We had a, a tremendous amount um, of data and news items released, and some of them. Uh, I think the public at large was anticipating. I mean, we always the first Friday of the month we get the employment situation, otherwise known as the jobless report, and that's that's been a, a focal point for um, maybe forever. But for the last couple here year, years here, we we really watch the employment situation to know uh, if it's getting any better or not, and. So we had that, there was also payroll numbers, manufacturing numbers, we saw um, trade balance figures, ISM reports, I mean, there's a lot to talk about, and I certainly intend to dig into all of the pieces of it today. Um, just before we kicked on the microphones, Dad, you brought up a great point here. Um, so let me start by saying, um, I, I want to I talk a little bit about the job stuff here first. You ready for that? I'm ready. You, I see your highlighted news articles lying everywhere. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, let, let's dig on into, um, first of all, uh, just at, at a most basic level, um, in terms of the jobless stuff we learn every week. This week they moved the Thursday initial jobless claims report forward to Wednesday in light of the holiday. Um, so kind of them to give us that, to digest um, So we didn't have to worry about it on our day off. They gave it to us on Wednesday. Um, Initial jobless claims, so people showing up for the very first unemployment check here, um, fell for the second week in a row. Um, Fell sounds like a strong word. um, Dipped ever so slightly, I think would be a a more appropriate way, to 343,000 initial jobless claims. And... um, that's down only five grand from the previous week, which was down eight thousand that's not all too terribly uh big of movement i mean that's that's actually pretty benign. The less volatile four week average of people showing up for first time employment benefits fell by seven hundred and fifty the previous week it was like twelve hundred
1: and fifty um, and it seems like we've been pretty consistent at that level of of Unemployment claims for the past several months. Yeah, we
2: chunk along right at about three hundred and fifty thousand.
1: Yeah, we've gone higher, we've gone lower, but it seems to be in a pretty tight, um, tight range. And it and I feel like this three hundred fifty thousand figure has been the norm for
2: six months or more now. And by the way. Um, economists say that weekly claims below 350,000 indicate a, a moderately growing jobs economy.
1: And so we're we're, we're
2: right there. We're right moderate. There. Yeah. We're, we're moderately improving. Um the other little couple pieces of data here that tie into this is um we had non-farm payrolls released earlier in the week and uh this let us know that we added one hundred and ninety-five thousand new private sector jobs. D- this is going to be a little bit different than the uh, the actual employment report itself, but um, they were expecting to add one hundred and sixty-five thousand new jobs, and and really, I I, I want to carefully say that that sort of blows the expectation out of the water. That's a a welcome surprise of a creation of more jobs than expected. That's fabulous. Um, Dan, you brought up a a kind of a funny tongue-in-cheek point here. Um, So this – and by the way, this is really why that 10-year treasury had such an increase in the yield and the the stock market likewise had a rally. Um, That's a lot of jobs, huh? That's pretty good. Almost almost 200,000 jobs added, and this has been somewhere between 160 and 200,000 jobs here for a while has been the norm. Uh, I read it once before, I, so I can't quote the, the source, but uh, basically we have to add 250,000 jobs a month to keep up with population growth and the demands just in the jobs market just to meet basic needs. So we've been well below that for a good period of time. And, and, Dan, you asked a, a brilliant question. Um, <laughs> how can we celebrate adding 195,000 jobs when still 350,000 people a week show up for unemployment benefits?
1: Yeah, the math just doesn't work out. Three, 350,000 a week <clears throat> offset by 195,000 added in a month.
2: Seems like we're going the other way quick.
1: Yeah, I think some people
2: are getting double counted in the weekly number. Got it. And of be. course, continuing claims, which these are people that aren't that are getting unemployment this week, but it's not their first week. This number is still uh, just a skosh below three million. So there's a pretty good amount of people that are uh, out of work and and taking some government assistance here to to subsidize the household income and. So yeah, you, your your analysis of the math, I'd have to say, is spot on. I'm not sure how that seems like great news. Well, the other
1: the other piece on Friday that that helped the markets rally was um, the revisions. They do this from time to time. They come back and revise statistics from previous months. Um, Seventy thousand more jobs were added in April and May than they had previously estimated. Fifty thousand more in April, twenty thousand more in May. So overall, when you look back at the last six months, the average um, addition of jobs per month is, is about 200,000, a little over 200,000 uh, people, jobs. There we go, jobs. 200,000 jobs added the last six months on average, which is up from the prior six months of 180,000 jobs added.
2: So a couple parts. But you made
1: the point, well below what we need <laughs> just to keep
2: up. Right. Well, and and I I dug a little bit further into this just in hopes that it would make good radio. For those of you that um, care less about this than us, maybe we're lulling you back to sleep here, but this stuff's fun for me. Um, within the ADP, so this is like a private payroll company. Um, they take out the government jobs, basically, and, and farm jobs. So they're looking at non-farm job growth, and they said that good goods – Producing employment rose by 27,000 jobs in June. So this is, you know, manufacturing of goods. It's the largest increase in four months. That's great news. Captured within that. um, Construction payrolls rose by 21,000 in June. That had their biggest gain since January, and just the straight manufacturing piece of the the economy added 1,000 jobs. And that was kind of a bright spot because though it makes up a a slimmer margin than the others, there was a two-month loss, a two-month decline in manufacturing jobs that was snapped here in the month of June. So that's pretty cool. Now, 161 161,000 jobs created in June is the largest increase since February. And, um, you know, yeah, and as I read all this stuff, I can't believe that um, we're not kind of hanging on these numbers a little bit more. It seems like we should be acknowledging the fact that the unemployment rate was held steady, unchanged. It was projected to have gone down. And... um Really, the unemployment numbers here kind of suggest that we do need to pay some more attention to the U6 thing. You know, that's that underemployed portion of the economy seems to be the part that um, I guess I would just say that in general, not enough folks are really paying attention to. Um, it, It shows basically that we have we still have some pretty good struggles. That U6 number is still pretty high.
1: You know, actually, and and we know that if we don't mention it, Carl will be calling in um, later to remind us to check out the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the bls.gov website. Um, the For June, that U6 number actually increased by half a percent. It went up from 13.8 to 14.3 percent. So while the... The highly published U three rate remained the same at seven point six percent. It's the underemployed that increased. They that number's higher, um, so that's not necessarily great news to have more underemployed people.
2: Yeah, and and so that this one, by the way, um, it's it's kind of deemed the real unemployment rate, <laughs> and I, I I'm always a little bit disappointed about that because. I, I hate that there's this employment rate that's unemployment rate that's being sold to the general public as the unemployment rate that we should see government-based policy on and the unemployment rate that should impact your confidence and um, desire to pr- both participate more in the economy. But if you're a business owner, just tracking this broader number may make you think things are a little bit rosier than they are. Um, this unemployment report that came out on Friday, though the unemployment rate stayed pretty constant, it was, it was generally heralded as a good report. Um, and, you know, and I could say that I, I see that it's, we gained almost 200,000 jobs, um, maybe better than the 200,000 we gained. We um, discovered 70,000 jobs from the prior months that we missed in April and May. I'm um, not positive how that works, but that's good news. I'm, maybe they can keep looking and find some more. <laughs> um, wouldn't that be fabulous? We just, Because we need a few hundred thousand more. Um, and with the, the official employment rate staying at 7.6, we have to acknowledge that it's better than the 10% rate that, that the – nation was falling around two thousand and nine two thousand and ten, um, but really the u six rate is, has unemployment up around fourteen point three percent and it, yeah, like you said, it got worse in the month of june and again this this metric doesn 't exclude the millions of Americans that have simply given up lost hope and given up um, their job search just said, I, I, I'm i not employable, basically, or underemployable, can't find um, work. And, you know, it, it. when you talk to those people, and I actually have had some pretty in-depth conversations with some folks that are being counted in that metric, have fallen off of the employment report for this kind of standard number, and under the real unemployment, frustrated people that – can't find work and in today's economy if you've been out of work for six months to a year that's nearly the kiss of death it's like it's like employment has passed you by at that point and very difficult to get back into the the labor market there um so so that's that's really difficult you know once you've been out of work for 12 months you're kind of viewed as damaged goods and right wrong or otherwise that's the fact and um, so i'm 'm happy that the u six stuff is uh is being published so that we can keep track of what i think i i think i'm falling in line with the fact here that this is the real number um i don't like i feel tricked i feel tricked by the standard headline i feel like it's not representative
1: yeah yeah i I definitely
2: hear what you're saying there's and you and you kind of sum it up perfectly if we add two hundred thousand jobs in a month yet we have um, on average three hundred and fifty thousand people a week showing up for unemployment benefits, how does that unemployment number stay steady
1: yeah and, and that's been the big um, concern that really goes goes unsaid too often and that's that you know we Those 200,000 jobs that are, that have been added each month for the last six months, that's, that's great. It's great to see some jobs added. It would be better if the number was higher, but, you know, let's, let's take what we can get right now. The problem is that of those 200,000 jobs, how many of those are true head of household, high wage, you know, I can support an entire family type of job? It's, it's not enough. Of those kind of jobs that the 200,000 number doesn't discriminate from the the hourly job where you're getting enough to to just put food on the table, but barely making, you know, you, you have no disposable income whatsoever. You're scraping by. Um, it doesn't differentiate between those types of jobs and the head of household jobs.
2: I read a piece this week that um, has called you and I, Dan, to talk more about this U6 number. I'd like to make this uh, a more regular part of the show. I know Carl will be thrilled. Um, You know, but basically, the the long-term unemployed, these folks that have been out of work for 6 or 12 months or longer even, um, they're pretty powerless people. What do you do? They're not getting the political clout. There isn't an advocate group that's wanting to help these people out. And really... So I guess the the point is is it it kind of falls in the role of the media, and I do feel like in the last few months um maybe even the better part of a year here, it seems like we are getting so much worse at tracking um, at tracking like the u six basically and talking about. Um, where we where we really are falling short as we keep clinging to this number that suggests that the employment market is improving at a good clip and that there 's nothing to worry about so i must it must just be a mood that i
1: 'm in today or something when I came up with my little um, <laughs> math equation on the jobs gained versus unemployment benefits weekly, but I also wondered you know how my understanding of how they come up with the this employment report. Is by doing a random phone sampling. Nobody called me. Right. They do a random phone sampling of people and then they draw out the numbers to, you know, let us know what the nation, what the picture for the whole nation looks like. Um, the folks that don't have a job, haven't had a job for a while, do they even have a phone to call them on to get into this
2: metric? Or more importantly, <laughs> yeah, and maybe more importantly, like, uh, how many folks have a landline anymore? <laughs> right. If if you have a phone in your house, at least here on the Central Coast, if you have a phone plugged into the wall at your house, most of the time it's like a um, one of those fancy Internet phones being, pr- you know, part of, like, the Internet provider package. Like, that's what I have at my house. And those numbers aren't generally publicly listed. So where's the directory for the cell phones? Um that so yeah, that's a good point. Probably having trouble getting a a full good sampling because the phone is just not necessarily the most reliable way anymore um, of getting a random sample. Then then you even only get the metric of the people that have a landline. So if you're if you're being called on your landline, your finances are probably still in order enough that you've got extra phones laying around. I think that the true unemployed underemployed people are cutting back expenses and scrapping the old landlines, probably one of the first to go, I would think. I don't know. It's uh, 1034 here. We need to do a commercial break, take some time out to thank the sponsors. So we hope that you'll pay close attention to these guys. They help make the show possible. And these are businesses that we do believe in. I think all of the businesses that advertise here on the show are businesses that um, Dan and I personally have. Uh, lines of business with. So, so they're more than just a paid advertiser. They're our friends and, and trusted advisors here. So pay close attention to the commercial break. When we get back, while we'll more Mortgage Matters. The
3: state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. I called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy is kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm.
0: Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo,
2: call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Borrowing hundreds of thousands of dollars for a home purchase or refinance can be a stressful endeavor. And if you're like most Californians, you only get a home loan once every five years. That's why you need an experienced guide who knows the terrain and can carry the load of two mules. You need the Mortgage Sherpa, and he's only at Central Coast Lending. Let the Mortgage Sherpa lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Jim usually such timely music heads um we're talking about unemployment here being thoroughly in the red it feels like <laughs> and then you come with back in black
1: well you know listening to the mortgage part of the show puts you back in black as far as your mortgage is there concerned you go. You know? B- to help you balance there, your your household you seeing it's trying to pump us back up
2: yeah we do need a shot Jim the, arm, the eternal we?
1: optimist with the back in black thank you so much yep you've you've I'm awake now. I'm ready. You gotta love it. I'm ready. You want some good news? Is that what you're, you're begging for? Good news. Show us pictures of puppies. <laughs>
2: some good, some good what do you got? <laughs> what do you got?
1: I've got the unemployment rate in San Luis Obispo County oh. improving significantly. That's okay. what I've got. How do you like that? Because that's close to home, right? That's. I mean, this is us. This is, is what we really matters, care about, right? Yeah, that's all I care about. By the uh, way, don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, for the first time since June of 2008. San Luis Obispo County's unemployment rate has fallen below 6%. Um, In fact, it dropped all the way to 5.7% in May, Um, well below last year's May rate of 7.9%, so we're 2.2% decline year over year in the unemployment rate. Um, Seems
2: like it must be hard to hire here then. That's That's almost like running at normal.
1: And in May of 2010, the unemployment rate in Slow County was 9.5 percent, the highest rate recorded um, for the May, the month of May during the, the this
2: most recent economic downturn. And Dan, where are these jobs? Do we know? I mean, wait, hey, we like, uh, what, what was it? There was a there was like an exodus of of companies too. Um, some of those big box stores went down. Granted, we seem to have found some replacements for them and stuff. But I remember in 2010, it was it was feeling a little bit grim. Um, so today, we must have just uh, help wanted signs all over the place.
1: Well, a lot of the, the job gains have been in construction, which is a, a nationwide thing coming off the the doldrums of con- the construction business there's nowhere to go but up there, so we've definitely seen some gains there. A lot of the gains have been in the um the service sector the you know the the retail and um, consumer services type sectors um because so much of our county is based in our county's economy is based in tourism, those are where a lot of the job opportunities are but I think that kind of does Correlate with the nat- national picture that we were just discussing before the break, in that, you know, a lot of the jobs being created aren't necessarily those high wage head of household jobs. There, um, they're, there's there's jobs out there being created, but they're, you know, the the waiter at the restaurant and you know working the cash register at the retail store, um, which. You know, while they can be good good jobs for people, um, they may not necessarily be a job that, on that income alone, you can support a family of four or five people. So, um, you know, it's it's good to see the number go down. It, it's definitely good as far as county how we stack up with the rest of the state. We're sixth out of fifty eight counties. Um, Marin County is the best, four point five percent unemployment, and Imperial County is the worst. Um, nearly twenty-three percent unemployment. Mm. Pretty ugly. No good. You want to hop across the pond over to Europe, see what they're doing? This. I'm sorry, Jim, but you know we just yin and yang, good and bad. Here, we've got to do it. Okay. It's what we do. We are a right. fact-based show. I mean, we we report the facts. So I do. I color the facts. <laughs> right. It's what we do. Are you going to bring me down right now? No. Oh.
2: Back in black, Jamie.
1: <laughs> I don't care how loud you play it. It's just not going to make it any better. Um, over in Europe, another record-high unemployment for the month of May. Boo, Just every your month. Book, your Every button. month they're setting new records over there. They're up to 12.1% unemployment. Um,
2: it's uh, it's pretty w- terrible. By the way, when European economies are struggling and release a headline like this, that unemployment literally – I mean this is kind of like an uncontained fire right now. We, we in the U.S. sort of, because it's fire season, let's use this analogy, we sort of have like a line cut and we've got our fire mostly contained and are actively putting it out. In, in the fire analogy, the European unemployment rate is like fully uncontained. It's growing and they can't seem to get it under control. This would generally cause investors to put money into the U.S. into um, – the better bet on the safe, you know, bright future. And this would generally drive those bond rates down, which we've just seen. I mean, we took the lid off them. They are <laughs> through the atmosphere now. So yeah. That's just kind of bizarre. It is. It's very bizarre. And the other thing, too, I just want to throw out there, um, the goings-ons in Egypt right now that would generally likewise also cause a pretty good flight to safety of dollars coming into the US economy as like those that kind of um what it how do you term how do you term the uh the dealings in Egypt right now i mean the we have like a a coup which i understand we're not wanting sure, to use not? that very political word. unrest yeah but it's <laughs> all but it's also <laughs> like a it's yeah. like a social um I almost want to say a social disaster, right? I mean, millions – you see these videos with literally millions of people um, down in the street shining laser lights on helicopters? That's pretty um, – there's a <laughs> – did you see that? Those that's wild. They all have those green laser pointers and they light up those helicopters like I, I couldn't tell if I was at a Pink Floyd show <laughs> or um a major protest, but but anyway, my, my point is that kind of huge social unrest is usually something that um, has an impact on the economy, and we didn't see that this week.
1: No, but yeah. just a short three or four years ago when there were these problems in Greece, problems all over the Eurozone countries, we saw exactly that.
2: And we didn't have enough movement. other good stuff to talk about. So today, in when those headlines are coming out that very same week, we've got some positive data on the home turf, and evidently it's just time to time to – be profitable here, in spite of what may be going on around the world, not getting all of the exact same uh, investment attention that we used to get from it.
1: Yeah, yeah the the pattern that we grew accustomed to over the last four years is it's definitely derailed, and, and new patterns are forming if if they're patterns. Last
2: week we talked though a lot about how. In terms of the tapering, this data is sort of hard to know whether it's going to be good for the market or bad for the market as it kind of felt like opposite in a lot of ways. This week was generally pretty back to normal, though, wasn't it? I mean, good news rallied the stock market and created further sell-off in the bond market, and it wasn't all exactly tied to tapering, though I do keep seeing little... Uh, misquotings of the tapering version yeah. in most every good news article. Um, and, and by the way, if you, I know you watched the Bernanke thing, but evidently you missed it all too. Did you have tinfoil on your head because you didn't get the like uh, message that you were supposed to get, which is that tapering is going to begin in September and be done. Uh, we should be out completely probably by the first quarter of next year.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it will be over at. When the unemployment rate, yeah, just rate tearing the 7%. Band-Aid off.
2: Um, we're just going to cold turkey it real yeah. quick here.
1: I definitely didn't hear that, and I felt like the three Fed um, voting members who spoke up last week um, tried so hard to say that. that's
2: not what was said. But yeah,
1: interesting. Um, let's jump over to the phone lines. We've got Rick calling from San Luis Obispo. Hi. Hi, Rick. How, are How you doing?
5: Good. How are you guys doing? Not Good. too bad. Thanks for calling. So you're really getting into the the meat of
2: things. We're trying, yeah, trying to keep it exciting. Well, if it's we been don't...
1: it's been quite a roller coaster ride, and I'm just I still just am having trouble digesting Crappily. the reaction after the press conference that I witnessed with my own eyes and ears. Um, it just doesn't seem to match up.
5: You mean the Bernanke conference? Yeah, yeah. I you know I've heard it repeated since then that um, he wasn't really saying there there's a definite timetable. It really depends on. On market conditions, right. So, but I the reason I called um, is that you guys were talking about head of household jobs before, and also about what's going on in Europe. And what I wanted to point out is that while the United States uh, lost and is continuing to lose head of household head of household jobs because corporations are still consolidating and laying off uh, employees and some are, I imagine, still shipping their jobs overseas. Countries like Germany, which is, from what I understand, uh, the standout performer in Europe, uh, didn't allow that to happen. What they did is they cut down on everybody's hours in the companies, but they didn't lay off employees. And that was pretty much the case uh, throughout that economy. And so while... um, they're insisting that places like Greece and Spain uh, eliminate government jobs and whatnot and, and go for austerity. Germany didn't really do that themselves. They they just simply cut back on hours. And, and I think that's probably what America should have done.
2: Yeah, it definitely would have been a different approach. I mean, we saw a little bit of that in the government looking to do things with furlough days and cutting back rather oh, than right, laying yeah. off. But um, into the private sector, and I, I heard of that approach in some small business and stuff of people that we know. But but by and large, I think um, it's easier for people just to shed the jobs. And that, I think that's part of the corporate mentality um, and maybe one of the problems that that we face as we get more and more to the corporate side, where we're so concerned about the the bottom line of the company as opposed to um, making a creative solution.
5: Well, not not just that, but also uh, the effect on the economy, because a lot of times businesses are only looking at their own bottom line. They're not really thinking.
2: They're about not looking the greater at the big picture, right? Yeah, and, um, and I think
5: that the big picture. Uh, since uh, about 1980 has been that America has been exporting jobs yeah. and a lot of people really refuse to look or tie the consequences of that to those particular actions Well yeah. and
2: and let me let me give you this too as just fodder for your argument one of the other numbers that came out this week is the trade balance figures and this is a this is an interesting one you know because it has to do with the import export and its ratio in the country um, we, as you know, the, the smartest economists in our countries expected May's deficit to exceed April's, as far as the trade balance. In, in other words, we expected to see the gap widen between um, the rate that we import at which we export. Um, they called for. Uh, the deficit to increase to forty point eight billion. Um, over in April, it was forty point one. So we saw basically looking for um, almost a billion dollars, two thirds of a billion dollars in, in increased deficit. That gap instead came in at forty five billion. Um, that number was. Kind of sneaked in. Unless you actually do really follow the stuff close and really dig in, um, you you may not know what what kind of a, an alarming number happens here. Uh, exports fell only by a half a billion dollars, but the main contributor to that gap growing is that imports jumped 4.4 billion in the month, and yeah. that, that's a trend that just can't continue.
5: Yeah, well, I, I think that's the whole problem with manufacturing our goods overseas. Germany, right now, from what I understand, I heard just recently, I think last week, is now the world's largest exporter. Wow! And which means that they're exporting more than China, huh. which is pretty amazing. If if that was a correct uh, figure, you know, but that's that was that came out last week, and so. Uh, You know, they've got all these big companies that are producing goods over there, as well as, I guess, in other countries, too. I mean, I think they make some Volkswagen's in Mexico, for example.
2: Rick, you you always seem pretty dialed into this phenomenon of, like, exporting and and jobs and these kind of things, and I'm curious just to get your take. uh, I'll try to keep this as quick as possible, because I think it's a pretty big chunk to bite off, but don't you feel like it's it's kind of the natural progression of the country that is the the world's base currency um in in doing so you you get this really cheap energy and it just lends the entire economy to have an advantage of importing rather than exporting i mean and and it's sort of we fuel the fire here by our gdp is based 70% of it is based on consumption. So in in that we have such cheap energy relative to the rest of the world and manufacturing has not been our bright point because there are still labor pools around the world to be exploited that don't don't you kind of doesn't don't you just fall that way because of the way the framework is set up?
5: Well, you know, I I think uh you have to look at the change in import duties and the, the whole, all the things that have been done since 1980 to make it possible for companies like to uh, hide their profits offshore and uh, put the federal government in the position of having to borrow money rather than having taxes to go on. Because what happens when you do that is that the money doesn't circulate through the economy in the same way. So instead of money going out and getting paid to people in jobs, uh, you know, through through jobs so that they can buy things with cash, everything becomes financed. And so we've switched from basically being a cash economy uh, prior to, roughly prior to 1980, it really goes back to the mid-'70s, to being a credit economy. And all the money that's been generated by the high interest rates uh, that were uh, in, in vogue uh, prior to uh, the uh, economic crash uh, all that money was continuing to be uh, lent out. A lot of it via credit cards, so that people were were basically uh, using funny money. I mean, those high interest rates, 19% interest rates on a credit card, that money, like I think, doubles every three years. So if if a bank is lending out money at that percent, they're getting twice as much money three years later and uh and so they've got that much more to lend, and th- so people don't understand that's what's been fueling uh, a lot of the consumer spending, and not so much now,
2: I think people well can- household debt's been decreasing for the last few years, though we know that i mean we we see each year we see those numbers are declining lately.
5: does that include mortgages
2: yeah, and the household mortgage debt has actually been decreasing as well, in fact, in record number of people putting cash into refinances more than ever before. Um, We're seeing more people take out. I mean, and obviously today as you're getting a basically, I mean, it, it's a rare bird. I mean, 95% of the loans that we do are long-term fixed-rate mortgages, and we see people, and this is really going nationally, people today seem more focused than ever before on having a loan that not only can they manage, but that there is an end in sight. I think we're, we're birthing a new generation of people that see the value in hitting retirement with no mortgage payment. Well, and nothing wipes out debt faster than a short sale, foreclosure, or bankruptcy either. Which the government has made incredibly easy for people to handle.
5: Yeah, well, I think that um, um, people are being a lot more careful about their finances. But uh, when you said that household debt is declining, I wondered, if they're including the mortgages, I wonder to what extent that's uh, because of all the people who've, lost their homes. Are- There's
2: different metrics that are tracked, and some of the ones that I think are just a little bit more reliable coming directly from the credit agencies. The The most widely accepted credit agency in the mortgage business is a company based out of Southern California, um, was originally Credco and has since been bought by CoreLogic, which is like a subsidiary of First American. But they're able to uh, to go on to categorize and actually tally up debt in the various um, categories and and the un- the unsecured consumer revolving debt has steadily declined mm-hmm. um, and you know at the same time as you compare that to some of these. Um, you know, earnings and savings rates have been going up as well, too. So when you do look at some of those metrics, and and it sounds like you might benefit from digging into that a little bit, it actually does feel a little bit comforting to see that there seems to be a shift in the – Um, just basically in the fundamental thinking of Americans that we are shying now away from having as much debt as we used to some of the stuff about the debt when you get in there and read it we have some alarming rates of debt for the higher income portion like the elder I'm not not higher income but the um, higher age groups of of people in our country we have elderly folks carrying more debt than they historically ever have and not really able to chip away at it like some of the other demographics are. But um, altogether, I do feel like debt is something that um, we are getting our arms around. And in part, it's a benefit and a result of these low interest rates, giving people the opportunity to consolidate and move things around and figure out how to knock it out as opposed to, you know, when when interest rates are much higher.
5: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that the low interest rates have been a real boon. I, I would hate to see them make any rapid changes and screw everything up. You know, that's one of the things that uh, Bernanke and and his predecessor uh, did back when before the economic crash is that they were using – uh, rapid changes in interest rates as a way to uh, supposedly control the market. But what they did was they caused the economy to crash. And a lot of people don't realize that when uh, when they were jacking up interest rates uh, during the year prior to uh, the economic uh, collapse, um, they were repeating a pattern that they had uh, set during the previous uh, attempt by a Greenspan to do the same thing, and they knew that it would affect the entire world's economy if they kept doing it, and they did it nevertheless. And uh, well,
2: what was the other choice, though? To I mean, I think it was in my my novel mind here. I felt like it was an attempt to to kind of slow a runaway housing market, if there was a possibility of a, applying any slowing mechanism um, to to get try to put a harness on inflation, try to slow just things down on a runaway train. So I think either way they probably recognized that we were going to have a a global meltdown.
5: Well well they they could have stopped at at a point short of causing economic collapse. I mean, they by raising the interest rates a little bit, they could slow things down, but I think we can't ignore the fact that so many people were hooked into that uh, that whole financial whirlwind i mean look at what happened on wall street with all that all that wild gaming. i don't know what
2: else to call it it's been pretty remarkable yeah and and that's another part of it that's such a big difference is you know back then we did we had almost 30 percent of loans that were being originated were some form of interest only adjustable rate loan and today that That number is less than 5% simply on adjustable. I mean, we've almost completely eradicated the um, interest-only loans and and those negatively amortizing loans. But, hey, Rick, we're getting pushed out to this uh, hard break here. I do. I thank you for calling. It's always great to hear from you. Um, Hey, we have uh, an hour still to go. We're going to do this commercial break at the top of the hour. Um, Get your calls ready. We're at uh, 543-8830. If you want to call in and share an opinion or ask a question, we'd love to hear from you, 543-8830. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. All right, guys, welcome back. It's eleven o five and uh if you're just joining us, you're listening to mortgage matters. I'm Jason Grody with my friend and business partner, Dan Podesto. We're the owner operators of central Coast lending and um we get criticized from time to time about you know from people that know us about not stating the company enough and what we're doing enough. People like some people even question why it is. We do what we do. And, um, you know, the bottom line is is uh, we track all of these metrics in the economy and pay really close attention because it helps us be better at our jobs. And uh, in turn, you know, you get the benefit of that if you're working with us. We've, we've got a, a lifetime of experience now in the mortgage business, and we have um, crafted a company with some really – really good banking relationships so we can offer the most um, incredibly priced and serviced uh, loan programs in the nation, really. And it sounds funny, but uh, the mortgage business is one of the only ones I can think of where you can actually save money by inputting a middleman. Can you think of any other ones? I don't think so. No, I can't. usually if you add somebody, like if so, and I hear this from customers. Hey, if I go straight to Wells Fargo, or I could come to you, and I'm going to end up at Wells Fargo anyway. Why would I do that? And um, you know, it, it seems really counterintuitive to add a, a middleman to it and actually save money. But l- let me just give you a quick little rundown as to why. Uh, number one. The banks recognize that this wholesale channel, which is what we're a part of, that um, that we do, we get a, we have a pretty strong piece of business, and it's been that way historically for many years, and so they want a piece of that. They recognize that we become the trusted advisors for friends and family and and local community, and. And due to, I think, just some of the big compliance regulations and stuff out of the big companies, like you you wouldn't have a Wells Fargo uh, loan officer able to do a show like this every week because they're so concerned about whether these people are going to make a compliance violation over the air or something. So there's a number of reasons like that why companies like ours can market really effectively and, and take advantage of, close relationships within the community. And in doing so, um, they don't want to miss that segment of the market. So they actually um, will give a lower interest rate with a lower closing cost to us than they'll allow their own loan officers to sell. And, um, you know, because let's call a spade a spade. If you walk right into Wells Fargo to go deposit your paycheck and you can turn around and get the home loan right behind you, you're kind of a captive audience, especially if you really buy into this bigger is better. Um, you know, Wells Fargo's a huge financial, stable financial institution. I should just do business here. Um, they don't have to advertise for that book of business. They just get it, and it's something where it's really profitable for them. For them to get business from us. They know that we're getting the rate sheets from dozens of other lenders as well, and they have to sharpen that pencil if they want to win to get this segment of the market. So they do. and um, But more importantly, I would share with you that um, most of the banks that we work with are banks that you've never heard of, and that's because they don't have like a commercial or a retail banking presence. They don't do savings accounts and checking accounts. Um, Free checking accounts generally a loser for the bank. They lose money on your checking account in hopes that you'll get a credit card with them or sign up for payroll services, do your 401k with them. Um, And probably their biggest ticket item is that you would do your mortgage with them when it's time to get that uh, mortgage loan. And so On the side of these other banks, they just cut out all of those non-essential services and and focus solely on mortgages. Um, And that allows them to do loans just for much cheaper because they're not in the heart of downtown in a 10,000-square-foot building on premier real estate with a well-benefited staff and all the clever marketing and everything. They're off in other places where the rent's cheaper, um, and they're doing everything they can to to be able to offer cheaper mortgages. So we work with a lot of banks that um, just undercut what you could get to anyway. And the, some of these banks that just specialize, uh, they're in the thick every day, making sure that guys like us can offer a better interest rate than Quicken or Greenlight, um, Cash Call, these companies that you see advertising during the golf tournaments and stuff. Um, and, you know, but... You guys got to recognize that uh, we're salespeople, and so at the end of the day, I always just um, put the challenge out there. When it's time for you to buy a house or to refinance the house that you have, all we ask is that you um, come to us to see the quality of the service and then also um, how we stack up against the competition. Like I said, we've we've got a pretty good wealth of experience here, and we've crafted a company at being um, – Better priced and and outfitted to provide better service than our competitors and and all you got to do is come in and get a quote to see that true in both cases. So, anyways, that's what we do. That wasn't too bad, was it, Dan? No. Whenever I start in on those little uh, rants like that, Dan starts checking email. <laughs> Starts writing his well, I know notes. I know
1: that we're in good hands. I know we're in good hands. I <laughs> so don't have even, a few minutes. I don't even need to stress <laughs> out. I can just let you do your thing, and you'll have a few minutes. Yeah. You could go
2: make a sandwich, <laughs> totally. And I just I know that it's being handled. Come on back. Yeah. So we we spent some time this morning, and I actually um, I've really been enjoying the conversation so far. Um, there's been a lot to talk about, and much of it in terms of jobs. And when we were on the phone with Rick before the break. Um, talked a little bit even about the trade balance figures, and um, there's there's still yet more uh, data that came out this week to talk about. I wanted to put
1: one last finishing touch here on the on the unemployment report because that was the big news of the week, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I was I was really reflecting on, it, especially this morning as I kind of caught up with the world outside of the Fourth of July, um, and and had this realization, you know. The these numbers that we get with respect to jobs and the unemployment rate, it's a lagging indicator. Sure. You know, it's reporting what happened, you know, for our county in May or for the the country in June. It's a lagging indicator. It lets us know what already happened. It's not telling us how the jobs picture is looking going forward. You know
2: what one piece actually does kind of dip into that and indicate just a little bit? Challenger job cuts report. Do you track this one? I don't. This was one that um, Challenger job cuts are. um, It's a survey by a company known as Challenger, Gray and Christmas. They found um, this month that eight percent increase in job cuts over the last month, and. They did put it into context a little bit, saying that for the first half of the year, job cuts are down 9% compared to a year ago. But this is one of the metrics that actually, while these numbers are coming out, analyzing what happened in the previous month, these guys are tracking the layoffs and job sheds that are happening in the previous month in hopes to provide a little bit of light on what we should expect to see in next months. And this one was a little bit of a bummer because they they see... A relatively sharp increase in in job curtailment here in this last month. So that's that's an interesting one. I, there's so much today by way of the internet that yeah. you can almost always find somebody that is thinking pretty clear minded about a particular issue and trying to to think ahead of the curve a little bit. But the Challenger job cuts is kind of a fun one to check out. Hey, folks, we would sure love to get
1: your input on today's conversation. You can chime in by calling us at 543-8830, We'll get your call live on the air. Um, We're going to start with Bob calling from Morro Bay. Welcome to the show, Bob.
6: Hey, Dan Podesto. That's me. Uh, I want to just give you congratulations. You had the best Fourth of July that I've ever seen in Morro Bay. Uh Thank you. No, you and your committee of seven and all the volunteers deserve a big time kudos
1: well thank you so much that's you know that we try to do something very positive for the community and um i was saying earlier i'm i'm so proud of the group i work with they they don't ask for recognition they just put their head down and work all year long to put on a a good event that that really is something that the whole family can enjoy. It's not just oh, a, b- a big I, I party. Agree. It's
2: a and it's relatively thankless. It is. People <laughs> assume that this event. Um, I think they assume it's put on by the city because it's the city of Morro Bay, and how could they not? Uh, but the reality is, and and I hope that this changes. Honestly, I'd like to see the the community come forward and demand that the city begin to take over some of this. At least the city should be donating some money, let alone trying to sell you guys the permit to run this thing down there. Um, but so, yeah, point is it, it's pretty thankless, and um, yeah. that's great of you to call, Bob. And, and Well, I guess one of the that.
6: things is I, I, the families and the kids and the dogs out there in the park, I've never seen so many smiles on the kids' faces and their outfits.
1: Were you there yeah, when it. the uh, when the actors came out promoting the Shrek the Musical?
6: Oh, yeah. yeah, that I was, was there that... also when the lady sang the uh, our national anthem.
1: Oh yeah, Skylar. I tell you,
6: she had one of the greatest voices I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, she... she's a local. Yeah. yeah, she is. She's from Los Osos. Twelve years old. Yeah.
6: No, uh, no, no. The, la- the lady, the oh, the recording anthem.
1: artist. Yeah, we did the national anthem oh, a times. couple times during the day. Yeah, she was oh, great the, too.
6: The first one. Yeah, they go have... Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, well, I appreciate the phone call, Bob, and, and I'll um, I'll share your comments I'm, with the rest of the group when I meet with them yeah. next week.
6: And thank him. Give him big kudos. And I'm glad Jason came with you. I'm glad he showed up.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's nice to have him. Okay. All right, a, all right. Thanks, Bob.
2: Nice little derailment. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you guys should be um, – somebody should approach the city of Morro Bay. This is how it can happen here, Dan, to help get some n- – we actually did get a, a nice
1: financial concession from them this year. Oh, good! Um, with respect to the fees, that- they
2: should present you guys with like the the Morro Bay um, Nobel Prize for <laughs> uh, like just altruistic work for the community to the benefit of literally hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and in in the presentation of that, it will draw some attention to the fact that you guys do this. Really, for nothing more than just out of the goodness of your heart and then and then maybe that will prompt the city to to want to join forces i didn't know the city um kicked in dough this year, so let me apologize about <laughs> that it's not been the case in years past
1: right yeah so that's
2: good we've been
1: We've been working with them to uh to get a little closer on the event and
2: you got to get special interest working and get some more of your, maybe some of your people onto like city council or something. And then you can make a motion and approve it yourself. Yeah. There we go. Special interest is yeah. how you get things that done. Sounds like government corruption. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't think that's how it works. Uh, <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, yeah. So,
1: so yeah, that as far as, you know, employment goes, I just, I, I was, I was, Saying that you know it is a lagging indicator, and a lot has changed just in the last month. We had the the Fed meeting that really impacted the markets in a big way in the last half of June. Um, so yeah, there are websites that are tracking it, but uh, you know the reaction that we saw even just yesterday was based on numbers that were for the month of June. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the second half of the year plays out now that the economy is really it, – it's a changed ballgame now, I think, with with interest rates moving up uh, more than a full percent higher. Um, there's a lot of talk saying that the the economy can support interest rates that are as much as 2 percent higher um, than where they're at even today, and, and still there wouldn't be a drastic um, drag. drag on the economy. I, I wonder about that, and I think some of the, the reports coming up will will really tell the, the tale. I thought another interesting um, development this week was that the Federal Reserve agreed last week to raise the amount of capital that big banks must hold to prevent their collapse and reduce the threat they pose to the broader financial system. And it seems, again, like another – counterproductive move here when we're you know even in the as interest rates rise we're still looking for the fed or i'm sorry for the banks to find ways to get more of to 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 get more money out more capital right i mean yeah that's that's what the, the federal reserve did effectively with this decision is to is to um cause the banks to hang on to more money and and yet the The reasoning is good. We do want a stable financial system. But at the same time, we've been longing for credit to be extended to people who are deserving um, but just for whatever reason can't get access to it. And higher rates made that more challenging or are going to make that more challenging. And now these further increased capital requirements of the banks are going to make it
2: even more challenging as well. By the way, it's not just been the desire of the feds to – Loosen that credit market and get the dough out into the hands of the people. We've spent trillions of dollars doing this. Yeah, let's not let's not double back on that. You know, And I see some value in having the banks have um, a, a better a better position with their capital that they that they could survive. Um, you, of course, remember the headlines about stress tests and of the banks, and they had stress tests and then timelines by which they had to be able to to pass the stress tests. I got a kick out of the stress tests. Um, a couple of the, the items here that they were working with is they had to be able to model some economic conditions that would um, put a strain on the banks, in their cash flow position and still show that they had enough reserves to weather the storm, the most, I mean, just a couple bullet points about the actual stress test, 13% unemployment. So when you have 13% unemployment and what that does, um, and, and largely in, when you have 13% unemployment, what you're wrestling with is debt, not being paid back to you as it should. Um, but then at the same time, you're also generally are going to have a, a less, less deposits that you have than when the country's at full employment. Um, so, so unemployment at 13%, 50% drop in equity prices because didn't we get caught with our pants down then uh, when the Dow went from 14000 to 6000 There was a lot of people saying, hey, well, nobody ever really planned for this. So now the banks actually have to be strapped um, with enough cash to be able to withstand a drop of 50% of the market. Um, and then the other part to this that's a magic number, how they came up with this number, I'll never know, um, 21% decline in home values. So if home values decline by 21%, the banks should be, again, flush with enough cash to be able to weather that storm. Um, and, and that's going to tie, again, to defaulting home loans and that kind of thing. But So it's to that end that they do want these banks to be more liquid and have the ability to weather some pretty dire financial times in the economy and the feds this week making them step it up. That's what it's related to is that, that obviously they're unable to, to weather these metrics based on their current asset holdings. I think it's funny because not to pick on Obama, that's not what we do on the show. Um, you remember the too big to fail thing, That's right? That's what I was just going to say, yeah. Too big to fail was about not letting um, a small cast of people have such a large, wide, wide-reaching wide control in a way that if they tanked, for example, Lehman Brothers, that is a, just the classic example that we did let tank in 2008, when that happens, the, the ramifications are far-reaching. And so in this case... Um, the banks, if you go in there and look at what's happened to their balance sheet, um, almost immediately after the too big to fail talk, they have further consolidated. They hold more money now than ever before. And at every turn, as again, was expressed this week by the feds, there are further growing those balance sheets and making it more difficult for you to borrow and more difficult for other banks to compete because the capital gets gobbled up and held. So it's kind of an interesting thing. The other thing that I wonder about, Dan, is did they sneak in this additional assets requirement in part to foster some inflation? And it could have the opposite, the opposite effect if you're sort of removing – I mean, because you generate inflation typically by devaluing the dollar with a pretty significant injection. Um, that hasn't worked yet. <laughs> We've put a tremendous amount of money into this economy the last few years, and they cannot reach this benchmark inflation that they hope to reach. So perhaps having the banks hold some money – in an environment of rising interest rates might actually um, cause a little a little bit of a shakeup in that market. It's hard to say for sure, but that is an interesting move. Um, I wonder if the feds I, – I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I, I felt sad. Like um, I felt sad about Bernanke talking at that meeting a few weeks ago. I felt like I misunderstood the feds. I felt like I was tracking with them pretty well when they were spending trillions of dollars um, and making some really prudent investments in the market and keeping such a, a close watch over the economy and, and with the transparency and the regular meetings and the talking to us out on the street, I felt like I was tracking pretty well with them. Um, And now I see, what i'm going to describe as runaway interest rates in in the eye of uh, i'm going to, i guess i'm going to call it a stagnant employment situation it's not getting tremendously better I mean they say they've seen substantial improvement, and I would argue that going from ten to seven that's feels substantial, but we've not it's been we've not budged well from 7.6 here into heading towards the six to six and a half that they're looking for making you know evaluating current policy on i don't see the the great progress so i feel like the jobs market has really been stagnated we're not having the um the inflation that we want and need and um now we have this runaway interest rate thing that might go on to cripple a housing market that um was really the s the, the sole bright spot in the economy. So I just I, I worry that the feds are um maybe missing the missing the boat a little bit on these things. I guess we'll have to stay tuned and see. Yeah, let's uh Let's go ahead and give the, the credentials here again. If you want to call in and ask a question or share a comment, you can. The number to the studio is 543-8830, 543-8830. You don't have to go on the air. Um, we'll be nice to you if you're nice to us. Uh, but you can just call and ask Jim a question. He can put it up here on the teleprompter for us to to get into. So. Call in and uh, share your experience or ask your question. We'd love to hear from you, 543-8830. We're going to go ahead and take a commercial break here, take time out to thank the sponsors, and we do thank you for listening and rejoining us after this quick break for more Mortgage Matters.
0: The
3: state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better
0: state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San
4: Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez.
2: You wouldn't hike Mount Everest without a Sherpa, and you shouldn't endure the loan process without one either. At Central Coast Lending, we take the confusion, stress, and anxiety out of your loan transaction. Our experienced team of loan officers will serve as your guides, your experts, your mortgage Sherpas. Let the Central Coast Lending mortgage Sherpas lighten your load. Call Central Coast Lending today at 543-LOAN. That's 543-5626. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts.
1: All right, we are back here on Mortgage Matters. We've got about 30 minutes left with you and so much more news to talk about, so much more.
2: Dude. Yes. We got a little out of order on me when I I dropped my trade deficit numbers um, on Rick, and I, I just – I did. I wanted to just revisit that ever so closely because um, a widening – so it, what, what was it? A week ago, two weeks ago now, GDP? Supposed to be 2.4, came out at 1.8. You may say, so what? Uh, That's a big miss. That's a disappointing miss. Um, Has largely to do with consumer spending, and I think it was really chalked up to um, payroll tax. That kind of sucks some money up out of the economy in terms of what the consumer is capable of. Um, this is
1: the change that occurred in January? You yeah. You think it's finally catching up with yeah, us?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's finally being seen in those numbers there. Um, this pretty significant um, increased deficit here in the trade um, has a negative impact on GDP. And this is kind of a... Um, it's kind of a weird thing if you think about it because wouldn't you expect in a country where 70% of our gross domestic product depends on consumption that having a good import number would drive that up? I mean, if we're bringing in more goods, are we not um, buying more, consuming more, and pushing our those numbers forward? Um, I think that... To me, it kind of makes sense, but at the same time, we're producing less because we're not exporting as much, right? Yeah, when
1: you're bringing the goods in, the money's going out to some other company in some other country, that's right. so that's negatively impacting the GDP. So, when
2: and when that gap is negative, it detracts from GDP, and so, um, that trade deficit directly affects the second quarter GDP estimates. Um, Goldman and Sachs cut its growth projections by 0.2 percent, and Royal Bank of Scotland and Barclays um, slashed it by 0.6 percent, just based on this trade deficit. And this is number. for the third quarter. Um, yeah, and the um, the growth outlooks now range from uh, 0.8 to 1.6 for the second quarter, um, and. You know, then at the same time it so it's just it's kinda of telling, you know, it, it, it has an impact and and so again, this is something that I was looking at um it seemed though that this report along with the others was digested into some positive news. Um you know, and and within that, in the the U.S. economy, imports of industrial and consumer goods, automotive vehicles, parts, engines, etc., rise 2.8 billion dollars in May. Um, that's a pretty robust demand for growth. Um, and you know, basically, we see that that it's kind of a tug of war there. What that headline does, but. Um, it will just be interested to see and track GDP because so much of this is – if if this proves to be true and this this deficit in import-export holds and is the norm and then as a result, we do see a big revision downward into GDP, that can undermine much of the gains that we've been seeing lately. And
1: I, I completely agree. Um, the other part – Is with respect to the rising interest rates, which you're describing as runaway, that's going to impact. I I just don't buy into some of these reports that the rising interest rate – that our economy can handle um, a 2 percent increase. That would be a 50 percent – more than a 50 percent increase to the interest rates that we've seen, um, that we've enjoyed for the last three or four years. Um, here's a couple of numbers I want to throw at you. One is with the auto industry. Not only have home mortgage interest rates been at record le- record low levels, so have auto loan interest rates. And everywhere you turn, there's a, there, what well, the the rate I keep seeing, and one of the bigger auto loan um, producers in our in our local areas, that like Coast Hills, they do the 1.99%. That's all over their commercials. Um, as those interest rates are surely to rise as are sure to rise as well, um, along with you know, all interest rates as, as a result of the change we've seen in the last two months, um, the auto industry came out and said they enjoyed their best sales figures since 2007. Um,
2: so yeah, Ford sales soared 13%, Chrysler, 8%. Um, how much of that is a result of the lower interest rates?
1: Right. So they're expecting this to continue you know, for the second half of the year based on numbers from the first half of the year. But the, the whole game has changed pretty significantly since the first half of the year, just since May, really, with interest rates spiking the way they have. So will that slow down um, some of this momentum we've seen in the auto sales side? Um, and And you look at, you know, since we're always measuring – you know, the best numbers since and, you know, the biggest increase since. This is the best since 2007. Um, So you're saying that this is the best um, numbers we've seen since we've had the worst economic downturn since the 1930s. Right. Okay. So just putting it all into
2: perspective. And don't you want to, (laughs) like, leave conditions the same so that you can have a few months of the best? Right. Right. More, before you go, hey, congratulations on hitting the best in five years. Now we're going to remove the framework by which you achieved the best. It's, this is the best since
1: the worst. Yeah. Good job. Um, okay, then the other number I want to throw out here um, is with respect to manufacturing activity. Manufacturing activity, uh, according to the Institute for Supply Management, the ISM, um, said that its factory activity increased to 50.9 in June. So it doesn't. That number doesn't mean a lot. Was fifteen point nine mean? That's well, fifty percent suggests growth, whereas um, numbers lower than fifty percent suggest contraction. So at fifty point nine, we're a hair above contraction in manufacturing, barely. Um, and in May, we were at a forty nine, so we were contracting in May. Um, so you know, I guess that's a great number. We're uh, we're doing better than. Than getting smaller in our manufacturing. So it's those kind of numbers um, that just don't seem to they, – they just don't seem to make sense with um, the interest rate movement that we've seen. That, that kind of improvement in interest rate really would – would be representative of, a, of an economy that's growing robustly, and, and I'm just not seeing that. When you look across the spectrum at jobs where we've looked at the metrics and everything is moderate at best growth, we're seeing manufacturing at just slightly above contraction. We're seeing auto sales that are better than the worst. Um, we're seeing home prices up but still down about 20% from their peak. Um, units sold are the best sense the worst, so i just i'm it 's interesting it 's interesting it makes so you know we 've been reflecting back on this fed conversation that that we 're just wondering we're we 're grappling with this idea that maybe we just we missed it we We were listening to something completely different yet three fed members came out and spoke last week. And said, no, Jason and Dan, you guys you guys heard us correctly. It's the rest of the market that didn't get the message we were trying to put out. Um, so there. So why is the question. Why have rates moved up a full percent? And then the bigger, probably more important question is what kind of impact will it really have moving forward um, on our on our economy?
2: Well, to me, I think the The reaction is a knee jerk one, and now what we see so when I was a little kid dan i I went one day oh uh, i got a I don't remember quite where it was in the San Fernando Valley. I think it was off of anyway, there was a canyon, there was a canyon that was like a road cut into a hill, right so if you can picture this, there's kind of steep cliff on both sides, and up above there was um, a a pasture where sheep grazed. And we went, for whatever reason, my crazy grandma drove us over to view this phenomenon where a sheep ran and, and leapt off this cliff to the road below and died. And that wasn't the impressive part. The impressive part was that Hundreds of sheep behind this sheep followed because they, like that, the way sheep follow one another, plunged to their death. And you could only imagine, I mean, we we went to view this, it was like a news phenomenon. Um, Surely these sheep would have heard the sounds of like the maimed sheep below and just the pile of carnage and just, but they just, the, the entire flock of sheep jumped voluntarily to their death and i and when things like this happen within the economy i kind of feel like that's what it is and you know i i've been trying to to come up with the idea of how just kind of trying to take the the mentality or the perception of that um the guy that survived as the hedge fund manager or the investment advisor all the way down to like the day trader guy, right? Trying to figure what it must feel like for them to have seen their portfolio fall literally to half and experience the emotional roller coaster and fear of that failure and what happens and do you stay in the market or bail out? What a just a tough set of circumstances to grapple with. And they only recently, if they stayed in the market and watched closely and stayed well invested, have only recently recaptured their wealth. And the bond market has been so... I want to use the word overbought, but I'm not sure it's appropriate. But I kind of feel like maybe it was. As things look so gloom and you can't make any kind of return at the bank and the stock market hasn't exactly been a great bet when everything seems to be tied to housing and losing and unemployment's no good and everything's just feeling so gray, so much money into the bond market, and now they started selling. And are they all... Going the way of the sheep, and just we don't care what you say, Mister Bernanke. You can't undo this. We leap from this cliff today together, and just sort of, you know. And it could be. It 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 sounds extreme. I know, but it really could be a, like a self fulfilling prophecy where with this movement and the interest rates and this you know you could wound this very volatile, fragile, recovering housing economy and send us back into a tailspin, um, we could find ourselves where we were before with higher interest rates, not enough demand and draw into the real estate market, and then that bleeding over into every other sector and find ourselves just caught again in a mess. Although this time we'll be so many trillion dollars deeper in the hole with – Still, the bag of tricks to overcome it, it's the same bag, right? Lower rates, put some money into the economy, loosen fiscal policy, uh, try to get people doing jobs. I mean, maybe they'll offer tax credit again for homebuyers. But we've tried it all. And now all of a sudden, in spite of all of those efforts, we literally find ourselves in a position of runaway interest rates. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that four and a half percent for a 30 year fixed is high by any stretch. All I'm saying is that we we got a breath of life just barely breathed into the the housing economy. And it has it spread out into all of these other sectors of the economy. And almost as soon as it happened, we're immediately challenging it. We're immediately going back at the throat saying, how strong are you? And. And I just, like I said, I feel like I misunderstood the feds because I feel like they should be doing a little bit more and be more concerned that rates are going up like this so crazy. Um, they had to come make clarifying comments last week. Uh, next week, they may need to again. Hey, guys, just a news flash here um, employment, while it's improved, still sucks. Uh, GDP has been revised downward. We're not adding enough jobs to keep up with population growth, let alone um, providing back those head of household jobs that are lost. There's still three million people on continued unemployment. We still see 350,000 people a month come for first-time unemployment benefits. You know, you kind of add this stuff up and say it's this is not. Not to mention, hey, maybe maybe you do. Want to pay a little bit of attention to what's going on overseas and the bigger picture stuff here. We're celebrating some of the highest points ever in the Dow. Um, and it's, we're, we're still comparing to the worst ever and, and with marginal improvement. It's just alarming to me. And you know what's right around the corner? From July... Birthday month—that's what it is in my family. August, <laughs> no. lots of money to show no. out. What I was
1: referring to is um, July one marks the new fiscal year.
2: Oh yeah.
1: Um, and so with that, homeowners get notified of their property tax reassessment. Oh, good time. So a lot of homeowners Celebrate have enjoyed. Um, a lot of homeowners have enjoyed a reduced property tax. Because, because of Prop Eight, that was passed, it allows a property to be temporary, temporarily reassessed at a lower value in the event the
2: values decline. Um, yeah. So, in 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 terms of that, like property values, we know that we have under the the Jarvis-Gand right, which was originally Prop Thirteen, we have um, a cap on. If our properties appreciate our our property taxes can only go up two percent a year, right? Okay. That's that's cool. We've banked on that. If you received a reassessment in the last few years here under Prop eight, which has lowered your tax basis and allowed you to pay a new lower tax rate based on your um new lower value. We had Tom Bordenaro on the show Uh, He's been on a couple times. He was, back then, even warning that there's no protection. If your home value has returned to what it was two years ago and you do get reassessed for a value that's 20% higher than what you were assessed at last year, which may happen in parts of our county, there's no 2% protection. You can literally rebound all the way back to where you were. And that might be shocking for some people because some of these people have refinanced by way of the HARP programs or just standard programs. And they've gotten their, their principal and interest portion or loan down by a couple hundred bucks a month. And they've also had a reduction in their property taxes that may have lowered by 150 bucks a month. So they're feeling pretty good. They may actually see their reassessment bump their payment right back up. So your improved cash flow from your refinance could be negated by your taxes returning to their um, yesteryear rate. And according to Tom Bordenaro, next week
1: these homeowners should receive a notification in the mail. And as many as 24,000 homeowners will see – their property taxes increase above that 2% um, cap that we typically enjoy. But because they were assessed downward, they're going to just jump up to whatever the new assessment was as of January 1st of this year.
2: And there are parts of the county where it's certainly 20%
1: more. Yeah, he goes on to say that... um, he doesn't expect that most homeowners will see any more than an eight percent increase. Although he did caution that some will see greater than an eight percent increase to their property taxes. So that's a pretty significant jump um, to that assessment, which is a that's a big chunk of change for for most folks. And if that happens
2: here. across the state of California,
1: well, that's not j- that's just in our county. Twenty four thousand that are going to see greater than a two percent. So if this
2: happens on a wider spread base across the across the state. What will that then do to that consumer confidence and consumer spending and exactly. the GDP and discretionary income, all these kinds of things? The, these are things that we're going to have to work our way through, and it's for reasons like that I'm not sold that the Dow needs to be at all-time highs. Let's take a phone call. Let's go over to Lompoc and get Noreen's take on
1: things.
7: Good morning. Good
1: morning, Noreen. Thanks for calling.
7: I'm actually calling with a question. Oh, great! Um, I uh, have been in the process of a short sale since last October. It's just been pretty much of a nightmare, but things are starting to really kind of look like they're they're moving. But um, you know, I was quoted at the old interest rate what my what my monthly payment would be. Okay. And I was just curious to you know what kind of a difference am I looking at on an FHA loan um, for $170,000? Um, what kind of a difference am I looking at monthly um, for my house payments?
2: When, when were you? Uh, so we got to establish a little bit of a baseline here. Um, when are we comparing to? I mean, has it been um, since?
7: I quoted this about, I guess it would be about months
2: ago. Okay. So in the last three months a couple of things have changed. I mean number one, the quote that you likely got then, and I don't it I don't know, it's not clear if it was at our company or not. Um, but you would have been receiving number one an interest rate probably at about three and a quarter percent. That's been the going rate Um, That's
3: about what it was. Yeah, yeah.
2: and so that rate today has improved, or I'm sorry, um, gone up pretty dramatically. That rate's probably going to be closer to about 3 and 7 eighths to 4%. The other thing is that the mortgage insurance portion that you're going to be paying every month has also increased. Um, so you'll be paying, um, a little bit more per month for your mortgage insurance. And so to give you an idea, and I'm talking to you on the fly as I'm keying in numbers here, kind of building a scenario like I would for you if we were in my office. So I'm, I'm modeling what your homeowner's insurance is likely to be and also what your property taxes is likely to be. Um, that all in, as you received before for $170,000 FHA loan, um, would probably be in the ballpark of, well, we've got at a three and a quarter percent interest rate and the old FHA mortgage insurance rate. That payment on the $170,000 house would turn out with taxes insurance and mortgage insurance. Um, you're looking at a total payment was probably 1108 um, that's that's going to be pretty close to what you were looking at before. And today, okay, yeah. if we push that interest rate, so if, let's call it eleven ten, just for sake of round numbers. And okay. if I move that interest rate today to 4% and also increase the mortgage insurance rate to the new uh, required mortgage insurance amount, that payment for you... Is going to go up um, to eleven $1, ninety five. So basically, you're looking at about an eighty five dollar increase. And you know, I I don't know how that impacts you and how you're you're going to feel with that change in cash flow there. But um, you know, that marks about a, what a ten percent change in affordability over what it could be. And just just for you know, kind of for giggles here, if you were capped at an $1,100 a month mortgage payment that you just really felt like that is according to your budget, that's your maximum, and you can't go over it, um, in order to keep your payment to that 1100 figure, we'd have to change the purchase price on your house to 160000 so this change in interest rate and mortgage insurance has lowered affordability in your case, you know, by what could ultimately be ten thousand dollars, or roughly five percent of the purchase price. So okay, that's thanks for exactly letting.
7: Exactly what I was looking for for information. I'm I'm I you guys first. Unfortunately, because I'm in Lompoc, so it just I was you know going to be I think. More difficult to do business what you want a day to day sure. basis. Yeah. So I worked with a mortgage broker in Lompoc, and, and at first he was giving me great service, and uh, now not so much. So and that... I don't know whether it's just because the process has been going on for so long. The only good thing about this entire um, situation was that the bid that I put in for the town was accepted at $170,000 in October. And then just recently, within the last uh, month and a half, we, we bid and he accepted my previous bid for 170, which the housing price has gone way up since then. Right. But so that's the only silver lining. Hopefully the bank is going to, you know, my, on my end, don't do, the bank is going to say, okay, we'll accept that account. And not try and counter me for a lot more, but um, that that's the only silver lining. When I hear in the interest rates going up, it's just making me so nervous.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the bummer about it. But you know, if you are getting some built-in equity because you locked in a, and and honestly, I really think some. I, and I'm not as familiar with um, the market down there where you are as I am up here. But I would yeah. suggest that. We really saw this market pick up steam in about October, November. So you may have caught it right at the beginning of a, a pretty neat little upswing in your case. So, um,
7: that's, what I, that's what I have been noticing. Yeah. That, well, that's what good. I noticed I, I put, put the bin in at the beginning of October, and then by the end of October, I'm just getting all this information about all these outs, and I'm saying, wow, wait a minute. These prices are going up. Put,
2: yeah, well, I'm sorry that it feels like the service you're getting from that other broker is a little bit less, you know. And, yeah, I think I've seen it happen where, you know, you kind of make your way onto the time waster list. If if the calls and updates and, you know, everything that you keep checking in and requiring from this guy and, and, and he's kind of of the mindset that, oh, well, hey, here's Noreen again, the chick that never closes escrow on this purchase but calls all the time. You know, sometimes that happens, and if you if you are interested at all, I mean, we'd love to be able to work with you and, and do what we can to help. I do get that it's a little bit difficult when we get geographically separated like this, but... I mean, technology is pretty sweet. We do, believe it or not, about 60% of the clients that we work with, we never see Um, face-to-face. We communicate by fax and email, um, you know, and, you know, over the phone. But with technology today, in fact, there's no documents that we require from you that are even original so there's an opportunity to be able to to work kind of digitally like that with people that we are uh, geographically how, separated how from how
7: would that work? Um, I have a co-buyer that lives in Santa Barbara um and that's the reason why we went for the FHA is because I have my mom is helping me go to purchase to house yeah so it's like a really bad divorce so my mom just wants to see me settled in a home and not have to worry, so she's helping me, right. but she's down in Santa Barbara, um, so, and I actually, I drive up to Pat Robles every single day, the, so I'm driving through your area every single day, and it's just that with my mom being in Santa Barbara, I felt like, wow, that's, geographically, that's getting...
2: Yeah, it it far makes far. it it does it makes it a little bit tougher, but you know, what we would do ultimately is mail or email you loan disclosures that you could go and have your mom help execute and stuff and you know, the other thing to consider here is that FHA what you're describing allows your mom to be a non-occupant co-borrower, and and not all loan programs allow that. But Freddie Mac also allows that. Their uh, mortgage insurance is significantly cheaper than FHA, so that may be worth exploring too. Uh, but yeah, um, we're Noreen, we're running out of time here. Um, I'd love to I talk do, with I you want this to week. Nice call. Give us a call back, and let's talk a little bit more about it and see if we can um, help make this a little bit easier on you. Um, Thank you very much. All right, Noreen, thanks for your call today. I appreciate it.
7: Have a great weekend.
2: You too. Uh, fantastic reminder that we are approved to do loans throughout the entire state of California. Um, both Dan and I, our parents live out of the area, and so we're always doing – Um, loans for friends and family and people that we know um, from around the state and technology has actually made it pretty easy for us to be able to do that. Um, So if you have any needs really anywhere in the state of California, um, we'd love to throw our our hat in the ring there. Um, We were talking about this pretty good on the show for a minute um, and I think have gone a little bit slack, but I want to invite you guys to check out our website. It's Central Coast Lending. The website, um, we have literally more than a dozen people updating content on this on a regular basis. We put a ton of time, energy, and resources into it. And the goal is um, to provide a resource to the community uh, that is just beneficial and helping everyone. This is not one of the websites where you have to give us your information to get information. It doesn't work that way. This is totally free. It's just a resource for you, centralcoastlending.com. You can also um, give us a call this week if you have any financing needs or questions at all. The number to our office is the same for all four offices around the county. It's 805-543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, thanks for listening.